live from the Metal Mayhem Studios in Rochester, New York. We are gold. And heard around the world by metalheads just like you. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Heavy metal music. Your weekly dose of metal music. Interviews, album reviews, news, and more. Want to be part of the show? Send us a message through our website, MetalMayhemROC.com. Or hit us up on Facebook and Twitter. Search Metal Mayhem ROC. It's getting nice and heavy. Now, welcome our hosts, John the Vernomatic Verno and Metal Forever Mark. Good evening, everybody. I'm the Vernomatic, and welcome to this week's show. We're in the month of May, and it's a metal May. 31 days of metal. As always, Thursday night, brand new content drops. Visit the MetalMayhemROC.com website. There you'll find a drop-down box with past episodes. Do us a favor, download them, review them. While you're there, sign up for our email newsletter. This is a way for us to stay in touch with you, give you insights on, you know, content coming up. Uh, Any giveaways gets you automatically into drawing. Tonight, we have a good one. We're um, celebrating the 40-year anniversary of the Ozzy Osbourne and Randy Rhodes appearance on the After Hours TV show. Basically, what this was, uh, April 1981, the Ozzy Osbourne tour for Blizzard of Oz came into Rochester, and a local producer had a a live rock and roll show that he did at one of the uh, TV stations, and he had Ozzy and the Blizzard on there. And the fun thing with all this was it turned out to be the only pro shot footage of the late, great Randy Rhodes. You got to remember back in like the early 80s, some bands were on the bandwagon and had the uh, vision to videotape stuff, and some bands didn't. So I'm going to had a chance to talk with Marty Duda, the producer of the show. He lives in New Zealand now, but back in the 80s, he was a disc jockey on WCMF, the rock station in Rochester, New York, and he was also, again, the producer for this After Hours show. So I caught up with Marty. We did a cool interview, and uh, we get the insight. But first, I have an old buddy of mine. Uh, He goes by the name of Bill the Rager. Well, Bill the Rager, uh, like I said, we've been buddies since the uh, late 70s. Well, Bill had a chance to go to this show. Now, remember, the early Ozzy tour, the Blizzard and part of Diary, you know, they're playing small 3,000-seaters. Well, Bill had a chance to go see that show, and he has some insight, and he's going to share some of his memories of both the show, the scene at the concert, and what he remembers about this After Hours show. Let's get going. Let me welcome to Metal Mayhem ROC, Bill the Rager. Hey, Bill, what's going on, buddy? Hey, John, how you doing? Ah, we're doing all right. All right. Just celebrating uh, the late, great Randy Rhodes um, and uh, just getting down to the nitty gritty of the After Hours performance. So spill the beans. What do you remember and what can you tell us about the Ozzy stop in 81? (laughs) Well, first of all, real quick, I wasn't even supposed to be there. Um, That show was totally sold out. I want to say the day the tickets went on sale, it sold out. And my brother had a ticket, but I didn't. And if I recall correctly, what would happen was he needed money for something and he sold me his ticket. I, I want to say I paid like 20 bucks for it, which was a fortune back then. 
Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I think the face value was like eight seventy five or something like that. But I was I was definitely down with paying twenty bucks for that because uh you know, like I said, it was sold out. So. so so let me get this right. Your brother your your own brother scalped you double face value the ticket? <laughs> yeah, so actually I think I was the one that offered to pay twenty. <laughs> All right, well hey. Uh, <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you get a ticket to the show. Wow, what happens right. then? Then on top of that, I almost didn't get to go because I was failing every class. And my mom's like, you're not leaving this house tonight. And I was like, no way, no way, man. I'm not missing this show. I got to go. And I basically just booked out the front door and ran down the street and caught a bus to the show. Well, hey, man, the Rager's got to rage. Got to do what you had to do. Uh, That's right. Props to you. So you <laughs> so uh, you go to the show alone. I'm sure you met up with a couple buddies there. Uh, Honestly, I didn't see anyone I knew, even though there was people I knew there. I just didn't see them. So I was basically by myself. Yeah. So just and, uh, paint the picture a little more. What are you, like 13, 14 years old, 1981? Yeah, I was 14. Yep. 14 okay. years old. And I was a pipsqueak when I was 14, so I looked, you know, probably probably looked like I was 12 or 11. The venue, um, Rochester Odd, what do you think, 3,000? Yeah, and I think that place holds at th- somewhere around there, 3,000. Nice, ornate, you know, like, uh, and it's somewhere where, you know, you would see like an opera, <laughs> not an Ozzy Osbourne show. Uh, and, but the, the acoustics in that place are amazing. We You've seen shows there. Yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Yep. So yep. Who, who was on the bill? It was Ozzy and who else? And it, Well, it was supposed to be Motorhead. And I was stoked for that because I had literally just gotten into Motorhead. In fact, I saw him on that show After Hours that uh, that uh, did the, uh, the, the Randy Road stuff, uh, the live footage there. So anyway, yeah, it was supposed to be Motorhead. And we get there, or I get there, and some guy was like, yeah, Motorhead's not playing tonight. Oh. And I was like, what? You know, and I honestly had no idea why or what happened, but uh, ended up being some band. I don't even know if they were local or what the deal was, but I think they were called the Iron City House Rockers or something like that. Never, yeah, never even heard <laughs> of them. And, yeah, and let me just say, they got pummeled from the second they came out First of all, they didn't even look like, you know, they just didn't look rocking. <laughs> and the crowd just went nuts. I mean, all of a sudden, people were throwing stuff, and, like, guys were running out with wet toilet paper rolls from the bathroom and heaving them at, at, the, at the band. And just beer bottles, loose chains, anything, everything and everything, anything and everything. <laughs> Sounds like a Euro crowd. Yeah, it was nuts. It was completely insane. I'd never seen anything like it. You know, this is only like my second year of going to shows. So now, and, where was it reserved seating? Where were your seats? Were you close? Yeah, it was reserved seating. And I was literally at the very front of the balcony, which I was like front row balcony, which is up in the air, but you're, you're pretty close because it kind of the way it juts down. Mm-hmm. I mean, I had, a, I had like an eagle eye view of everything. Beautiful, and, sick. Yeah, you know, and the sound was amazing. I mean, it just sounded freaking great that night. What was it like when Ozzy opened? What he opened with was there, uh, you know, intro music. Give us the, uh, give us the scene. 
I don't quite recall what he opened with, but I want to say it was, I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's funny. I don't know, but I think it was, I don't know. And it just, it was from the second he came out or they came out. It was just a, it was, it was a, like a bombastic blast to the face. (laughs) Now, did you have the solo album? Were you familiar with the material? Yes, I did. And I had just gotten it maybe two weeks before that, or maybe a couple, whatever. It only came out, I don't know, not even a month before the show happened. Uh, it came out in Europe in September of 1980, but it didn't come out in America until March. I believe, I can't remember the exact date, but I think it was March of 81. So I was somewhat familiar with it. Of course, I knew, I don't know, and Crazy Train, because they're playing those on the radio like like all the time. Yeah. So. And yeah, I mean, and and they did pretty much play that whole album. The only thing they didn't do that I remember was D, of course, because that's the the little acoustic thing that Randy does. Mm-hmm. And I do, and I didn't know this until later, but they did play because I saw a set list. They did play Flying High again, and uh, but yeah, they they pretty much played the whole album, and it it was amazing. I mean, Randy Rhodes was just, I mean, he was phenomenal. Uh, let's well. In addition to the uh, Ozzy, I'm sure there was Sabbath sprinkled in there, and yeah, yep, he did play. I want to say it was Children of the Grave. I think Paranoid and maybe Iron Man. I I remember Children of the Grave. Yeah, I remember that, that for sure. That was a you know Oz, early Ozzy staple from the yeah. Sabbath. Did yes. you uh, did you see the 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 After Hours Ozzy because that was simulcast on uh, WCMF. Did you see the performance on uh, TV? I did. And it was, and I remember it was kind of a fluke that I caught it because I wasn't planning on watching that night. And I did catch it. And I was like, whoa, awesome. Yeah, I mean, I was like, this is great because I just saw him, you know. Yeah. What they did at WUHF on After Hours, they did, I believe, four or five songs. It's like 30 minutes long. And the songs that Bill mentioned, I don't know, Mr. Crowley. Um, crazy train, maybe a suicide solution, a little medley. I remember seeing it years ago and it is on YouTube. It's all over the place. And yeah, you can get it. And I do have it on DVD. A buddy of mine from Canada sent it to me on DVD, actually. Cool. Cool. So, uh, so, you know, like I mentioned at the top of the hour, Bill and I go back to sixth grade and a couple, uh, tidbits. I remember um, now in the spring of 1981, we were in eighth grade and I think, I think we had math class together. And I think I remember Bill walking in the next day with a Ozzy Osbourne t-shirt on from the show. And it had little, (laughs) had little crosses on the back of the United States for all the, the, all the cities that the uh, blizzard had attended. And for the life of me, I don't know why I didn't go to that show. Dude, probably because it sold out so fast. Remember, we weren't always running down to the ticket joint the minute a show was announced. I don't think people realized that was going to sell out so fast. So 500-plus shows, if not more later, 40-plus years of going to concerts. I give it up <laughs> to you, Bill the Rager. That's definitely, definitely <laughs> a feather in your uh fucking metal cap it's uh well, i'm truly honestly i'm blessed and i'm honored that i was able to see that and i to this day my brother kicks himself for uh yeah selling me that ticket he, well, he really he, every once in a while he brings that up i'm like uh, oh boy. 
Well, at least he made an extra 10 bucks. So, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Bill the Rager, thanks for uh, going down heavy metal memory lane with us. And You're uh, welcome. we will talk with you soon. Absolutely. Right on. And uh, keep raging, Vern. Okay. Appreciate your show. All right. We'll see you soon. Take care. All right, man. See you. Bye. So that's Bill the Rager. Big, big metal head. Props to Bill. So we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to have the interview with the guy that made all this happen, Marty Duda. I'm the Vernomatic. This is Metal Mayhem ROC. Hey, friends of the Metal Mayhem ROC podcast. Vernomatic here, inviting you to get those horns up and to join us live Monday night, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time for Metal Mayhem ROC Live. We crack the vaults open and play the best of the metal for the last 50 years. Get in the chat room, meet other bangers from around the world, send me a request, and I'll get it on for you. That's Metal Mayhem ROC Live with me, the Vernomatic, Monday nights, 6 to 9 p.m. Eastern time on netmetalstation.com. Hey! Listen up! Now get that popcorn ready and grab a seat. Do it! As the Vernomatic and Metal Forever Mark present this week's feature interview exclusively here on Metal Mayhem ROC. So we have live on the Metal Mayhem ROC pipeline from New Zealand, Rochesterian <laughs> and uh, brother in metal arms, Marty Duda. Marty, thank you for joining us today. Greetings and good morning. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's 9 a.m. in uh, New Zealand and it's 5 p.m. here in Rochester. So, yeah. and plus we're a day ahead of you. Oh, so it's Saturday. So, yes, it is Saturday morning. We, uh, we have Marty on the line today because we're celebrating the 40 year anniversary of the After Hours TV appearance, the After Hours TV show with Ozzy Osbourne at the old 31 UHF studios. We have Marty on here because we want to hear the whole backstory, how it happened, <laughs> and Marty's involvement with it. So okay, I'm- well, I, I'll remember as much as I can. So first of all, the reason that the shows I started working at Channel Thirty One when they went on the air the year before, uh, and at the same time, I was a part-time disc jockey at WCMF, and so I, after spending about a year at Thirty One and kind of getting up to speed on the on television production i thought well why not make a tv show (laughs) about music so that's what and i talked to the my my uh superiors at at cmf and they thought it was a great idea so we did a where we could simulcast it so actually it was pretty cool that we were doing that in 1980 81 so uh so we got it all sorted out and uh the uh the powers that be at cmf kind of arranged because they were tight with the record companies so they could get some bigger names in. So like we had the psychedelic furs come in and record a session okay. and, and we put that on the air. Um, and I went out to Buffalo to talk to Todd Rundgren and Ian Hunter and did some things with that. Plus we recorded a bunch of local bands as well. We had Pearl, I think, and new math and, and on the one with Ozzy, it was the high text. The high text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, so that's kind of the, and back then the television production was was di- quite a bit different than it is now we were one of the first places to have one inch videotape so we recorded this the, the Aussie thing with on vid- one inch tape but we didn't like have any control track or any time code or anything like that so the editing which i did myself was 
very uh, time consuming and, and labor intensive. I had to sync everything up manually with the sound and the and and the vision because we had a we had a sound truck come in to record the audio. Thank God it was a guy. I can't remember the guy's name off the top of my head, but he was amazing. He did a great job because the sound is great on it. But uh, and the the studio at CM or at uh, at thirty one was relatively small. And of course, Ozzy and his crew brought in all of their gear. They were setting up like a gig. Yeah. And there were these huge Marshall stacks. And we brought in a, uh, a studio audience of about maybe 30 people on little benches. And they were sitting like this far from the stacks. So they were just getting blown away. It was amazing. What kind of volume were, were they doing? Was it, it was- Intense volume. So if you see, watch the video, which I'm sure you have. You'll note that a lot of times there's lines going across horizontally across the screen. Mm-hmm. Those are the tubes in the cameras vibrating from the sound. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me ask you, what enticed you to bring Ozzy in? Because at the time, well, like was- I said, it was, it was kind of up to CMF. Um, so Ozzy came in and he did a show at the auditorium theater. Yep. So since they were in town, and we had this, you know, groundbreaking television show in the making. They said, hey, you want to have Ozzy on your show? And we're like, yeah, sure. Why not? Let's do this. <laughs> so at the time, it was Ozzy's first solo album after right. he left Sabbath. And it, yeah, wasn't, yeah, yeah. it wasn't that glamorous back then because he left Sabbath. Uh, no, it was bad. It was bad at the yeah, end. It was bad. He was a mess. Uh, and there were ba- there was bad blood, obviously. And yeah, so Ozzy was kind of starting from scratch, which is why we were able to get him as well, because he was just doing whatever he could to promote himself. Yep. So and CMF was, you know, a pretty big station at the time as far as AOR and all that. So yeah. they had a little clout. So that was all good. And we had Ted Edwards, who was a jock on CMF. So he hosted the thing for us. Oh, OK. So at, sure. at the time, CMF, um, you, you were there. Uh, was yep. da- was Dave Kane? Was Dave Kano was there? <laughs> of course he was. That was, and congratulations to Kano. Uh, <laughs> I went to school with him too in Brockport. In Brockport. <laughs> Kano recently uh, retired. He just uh, retired, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so the Ozzy Osbourne band comes in. In the book by Rudy Sarzo, the bass player of the band, Off the Rails, he goes into detail about. Oh, really? Yeah, about that that period where they came in and in a whole nice chapter on the Rochester, New York stay, and there. I have to read that. Yeah, <laughs> he probably and, remembers more than I do. <laughs> and, well, the, Marty, the fun thing about that book is. Um, it's chronicled because it has the the diary entries from Sharon Osborne. It was Sharon Arden at the time. Her assist, yes, she was. Her assistant kept uh, meticulous details of the tour. Oh my god! So, so she, uh, Rudy, he was a, a musician, but he wasn't a rock and roll, you know, road dog. He kept right. he kept the party into a minimum. So yep. the, the book it's called Off the Rails, and it's fantastic. I'll definitely check it out. I can't it, wait. <laughs> but there's a nice little entry. So he mentioned that. So the band comes into Rochester and he they were impressed by, like you said, they were early in their career. It wasn't like yep. they were rock stars by any means. And, yep. you know, um, so they did the they did the show at the after hours. And I believe the next day was the concert. OK, right. Well, I'm, I'm not sure that's true. My best recollection is it was a Friday night that we did the recording. 
in the in the early evening. And I think the show was like on a Wednesday, according to uh, setlist.com or whatever. Yeah. Because and I'm pretty sure it was Friday night because I was on the air on CMF doing an overnight thing that night. So I had been up all day making this thing. And it was a long, hard work. And I was and and once Ozzy and his crew were done recording, of course, we still had the high techs to record as well. And they wouldn't leave. They wouldn't break. The, they were tired. They wanted beers. They wanted to break down. We're like, come on, guys, you got to get out of here. So it was close to midnight before I got out of 31 and I had to go right on air and work, and be on air until 6 a.m. the next morning. Uh, what do you remember about the band, Ozzy himself, Randy Rhodes? Well, uh, <laughs> there's quite a bit. Of, <laughs> one thing, well, the keyboard player was Don Airy, right? Yep, Don Airy. They hated him. They told us not to shoot him or show him it at, at all. Really? What yep. was, what so was they, the beef? I don't know. <laughs> it was one of those things. They were really nasty to Don Airy. And so, because at the beginning of um, Mr. Crowley has a long keyboard intro, you'll notice all you can see is, is his hands we were told not to shoot him. Wow. Who, who said that? Ozzy or was Sharon there? Ozzy and Sharon. Sharon was there. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Ozzy was still married to his wife, but Sharon was obviously yeah. a part of the uh, action. If yeah. You will. Refer back to off the rails for further developments on that storyline. <laughs> okay, I will. So, so they, yeah. So that was interesting. Um, Randy was extremely quiet. I don't know if I said more than three words to him the whole time. Mm -hmm. He was just there to do his, and he, and you watch the video. He just wails when he's playing, man. He's awesome. So that's great. Ozzy was a mess. The, my most vivid recollection is we were back in the kind of green room area prepping to get ready for him to do his thing. And Sharon's back there and he's fluffing around and blah, blah, blah. And we're about ready to go on. And he decides he needs to gargle. He needs some, some like, mouthwash yeah so we go and find some mouthwash and we bring it back to him and instead of gargling with it he drank it and he almost choked to death and <laughs> <laughs> was he drinking it to try to get the alcohol was it- i don't know <laughs> i don't think he he was i think he was just confused hey, well, it was a I bad mean, period for ozzy yeah yeah so i don't time. know i don't want to speculate on on his uh whatever he was yeah. doing or not doing but i did see him almost choke to death on listerine <laughs> now, now that touring band also had uh tommy Eld- aldridge on drums he was him, yeah. and he was like the veteran anything you remember with aldridge just that he wailed, you know, I know he used to be in Black Oak, Arkansas. Yep. And, uh, you know, he, I mean, all you got to do is watch the video and yeah. you can see how amazing yeah. these guys were. And Rudy Sarzo was sitting there in that outrageous red outfit, like latex thing he's wearing, just like thumping on the bass. That was awesome. <laughs> so the band yeah. does the five songs, I think it was. It was like a half hour long. I think and- it's four. It was Mr. Crowley's Suicide Solution, I Don't Know, and... I have to look and see what the other one is, but yeah, they were all, yeah, off the album, and yeah, I mean, it took a while, and, uh, and Ozzy was not in great voice; his voice was cracking, uh, and you know, so if you watch the video that's on YouTube now, what happened was, um, I eventually sold a copy of it to Ozzy's people later in the eighties after Rudy had died. And there was, they had asked me and I sent it to them and I made a few thousand bucks on it. Probably Mm -hmm. should have held out for more now, but there you go. And so, and and of course 
uh, Sharon in particular is notorious for overdubbing, fixing, replacing musicians. Like she didn't she re-record that album with, and got rid of Rudy and and Tommy because they didn't want to pay him. And pay uh, the the story was instead of paying royalties to Daisley and Kerslake that wrote yeah. that. They re-recorded yeah. the bass and the drums in 01 yeah. on re-releases. Yeah, and- yeah. So that so that's that's the kind of so anyway, if you watch the bit video that's up there on YouTube, the one with all the hits, yeah, Ozzy's voice is fixed in yeah. places. <laughs> yeah. So because uh, and I've got the original here, and, I, and I'm like, that's not how it sounded when we broadcast it. <laughs> How much do you know about because that footage eventually ended up being like pretty much the only uh, pro shot of Rhodes, and it made yeah, it. I'm sure it, it is. It made it into when he did the live album in the '80s uh, tribute. So when they're right. when they're doing the videos for it, a lot of that was used. As, oh, good. As well, it should. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's it, that's that's the the thing with with your footage and what happened back then because that's. Really, the only thing there is of roads. Sure, there's boots and grainy and sound. I've seen stuff. some really bad stuff, but nothing that's really watchable. It, yeah, it's really unfortunate because some bands really capitalized on the the video and documenting yeah. stuff, like Kiss has warehouses and stuff. But then other bands, like Van Halen, original Roth stuff. There's very yeah. limited stuff. Yeah. And you got to remember, this is just at the beginning of MTV. Mm-hmm. And people were still getting their heads around the fact that you got to do this stuff and be, and especially metal, I think, probably, you know, kind of dragging their heels because they're, uh, metal is live, you know, it's supposed to be, you know, yeah. they don't care about TV. So I'm sure it wasn't on top of anybody's list. And we were lucky to get Ozzy and, and the band to come up and agree to do our thing. Let me ask you, when you did that, did you realize? Uh, the significance of it, or it, it was just <laughs> not until not until well, you know, I, it was only months later that that Randy died. About so a year, about a year like, late, almost a year, yeah, yeah, a year later, yeah. So, so, and it's amazing that no one shot any video of them between then and then. I can't believe that because I expected stuff to come out of the woodwork at that point, but nothing has. I haven't nothing. seen anything decent. Did you go to the show at the auditorium? I can't. I don't think so because <laughs> so I'm pretty. No, I'm, I don't think I did because I was busy working. I was, I had like five different jobs. I had mm-hmm. just been married, new baby, new job at channel 31. I was still on CMF. I might've still been working at the house of guitars. I I was probably managing a band or two and yeah. doing all sorts of things. So I didn't have a lot of spare time. Uh, and I'm pretty sure that when I went on the air at CMF after shooting Ozzy, and I was on until six in the morning. My next thing was I had to drive to New York City in, in that morning. <laughs> yes. So, so you I was living. I was I was stretching. <laughs> uh, let's touch on. Um, so your broadcast career in Rochester. You went to school at Brockport. Uh, what do you? Um, what could you pull f- some highlights of your stay here in Rochester? <laughs> well, let me think about that. Well, like I said, so. While I was in Brockport, I got an internship at CMF. So that was kind of my way in. Mm-hmm. And and that was in like 77, 78. I graduated in 78. And it was great. I would just hang around at the radio station at, at CMF because I lived, my parents' house was right around the corner from Layton Avenue. So I was on Parcells Avenue. Okay. So it was it was easy. And I would just go there and pull records for the jocks. 
So Suzanne King, Uncle Raj, all them, they'd be on the air. And there, there's a big record library, which I have most of it here I, in my house yeah, now. Yeah. I've seen that. <laughs> so, so I would pull records for the jocks and help them with their shows and get to know them. And then eventually I, I wouldn't go away. So they put me on the air and overnight. <laughs> and uh, what was the show you did? The, um, the roots uh, of rock and roll. Yeah. Um, I was very young. I'm in my early fifties, but I've been, been a fan right. listening to yeah. CMF my whole career. What was that show about? Roots. That of- was just me doing what I wanted to do because when I first started at CMF, it was free form. So, for instance, when I got interviewed to be a jock, they gave me a music quiz test. Can you imagine that happening today? Uh, they wanted to know how much they were like, OK, Gallagher and Lyle, what are their first names? Benny Gallagher and Graham Lyle. I mean, mm-hmm. that's the kind of stuff it was. Yeah. And I'm going, oh, this is cool. They actually want somebody who knows what they're talking about. So that was great. And when, and we could just play whatever we wanted within, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to play some spaced out jazz thing, but within the format of the station, yeah. we were free to play whatever we wanted. But that changed very quickly. Uh, eventually, it was like you'd get notes on the record saying, oh, just don't play this cut or just play this cut from, you know, Boston or REO Speedwagon or something. Yeah. And so, and, and you could see the writing on the wall. And then eventually, within a couple of years, it was very tightly formatted. So that wasn't, I wasn't the world's greatest disc jockey and I wasn't thrilled with playing Boston over and over again. And I was heavily into old rock and roll. So I was like, well, why don't I do my own thing? See if I can get him to, so they put me on, was it Sunday mornings? Sunday mornings. And I, and I did my roots of rock and roll thing and I could play pretty much whatever I wanted to. I didn't have to go with the, with the format. I could play old, anything from Chuck Berry and little Richard to, Psych, you know, the 13th floor elevators, all that stuff, cream. Well, that's when you every, could, oh, that's when you could get away with stuff like that. And yeah. it was cool. they wouldn't let me do that now, I'm sure. No, <laughs> now. And that leads me to my next question. There's a rumor. Maybe you could uh, um, clear this up. The yeah. call letters of CMF. Does it stand for Clapton Miller Floyd? No, no, okay. not. <laughs> no, no, I can't. It's community music service or something like that. Oh, I, that's not where I was going. I was it's very boring. The, the, the crazy MF uh, slang. No, no. Um, cool. So you, you, what are you doing now? How long you left Rochester? Tell us a little yeah, bit about so what I moved you got here going in 94. on Moved here in 94. As a matter of fact, I was just remembering when I did move here, the last thing I did in Rochester before I moved here, I used to make the House of Guitars commercials. And I, so my last evening in Rochester was spent in an edit suite with Armin Schaubrook making a last House of Guitars TV spot before I got here. <laughs> They're still around. Uh, yeah, because like, like I did the store that ate my brain and all those things. Other than me. <laughs> what, what, uh, what led you to New Zealand? Well, I'd been in Rochester for a long time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I... I'd been living there since I was 11 years old. I was just about to turn 40 at this point. Uh, and I was, and I'd been doing everything and gotten to a certain point where it was like, what else is there to do? Yeah. Where am I going to go? I had a wife and two kids and we were like, you know, let's do something. Let's, let's think about moving. So we did think about moving and I did in the back of my head think New Zealand might be kind of cool, but I wasn't sure. So me and the wife took a holiday to New Zealand at the end of 93 and we traveled around the whole country for like a month and a half. We fell in love with the place. 
And a friend of mine who worked on the Aussie thing, his name is Dave Salamone, uh, who I just spoke to. He's the head of production at HBO now. Oh, OK. And, and he so he did very well for himself. He went from Channel 31 to HBO. He's, he's been the head of H of production there since like 89. So anyway, I was telling Dave, I said, oh, I'm going down to, to New Zealand. He goes, oh, great. We've got this new um, uh new station in Auckland that we're doing some, we have an affiliation with tell them hi and that you know me. So I did. And, and uh, uh, ultimately they offered me a job as an editor at uh, sky TV here in New Zealand. So that's where I worked. I've not, there were some negotiations going on. I came back and by June of the following year, I was here in New Zealand working at sky television. That's awesome. You, the other side of the world, you get a connection. So what do you got yes. going on over there? What is it? Thir- tell me about your brand. What is it? A 13? 13th floor. What is it? Well, it's just it's a music and arts website that I started 10 years ago. And so when I moved here, I was jonesing for doing something musical because nobody knew who I was. Not that I was anybody to know. And all, all I was doing was editing video which is okay. Most of it was sports stuff, not my thing. Uh So I was like, Oh man, I got to get into music somehow. And um, so I met a guy who ran a music magazine here called rip it up. His name is Murray Kamek. He was one of the first people I met here. And he's like, well, why don't you write some album reviews for us? I was like, I'd never written a thing in my life. And here I am 40 years old. I've never written anything. So I spent, he gave me an album by, I think it was Primus to review. And I was like, oh, my. And he says, you just need to come up with 200 words about it. They're like, all right. And I, I swear, I sweated over it for days, counting the words, yes. and filling around with it, handed it in, and it was great. And from there, I just did more of it. And the, the funniest thing was when, when we came here first on our holiday, I had a record label in, in Rochester called After Hours Records. Okay. And it, we had... Um, it was mostly like R and B stuff, uh, old and, and John Ellison, who I mentioned, who used to be the lead singer, of the soul brothers six was on our label. And we just made a record with him. So I met with Murray Kamek. He was like the first person I met in New Zealand. And he goes, Oh, you got to go over to real groovy records, which is the next block over. It's the mm-hmm. big independent record store in Auckland and talk to this guy, uh, and tell him who you are. So I did. Sure enough, I walk into the store. They're playing one of my records for my label over this, over this, as I'm walking. They didn't know. It just happened to be. I got interviewed by somebody there. And, you know, and so uh, when I eventually moved there, I ended up writing for all these magazines, a couple of music magazines. Mm -hmm. And then I became um, a music producer at Radio New Zealand, which is like the big, it's like NPR in the States. Okay. Okay. So I did that for like 12 years. I was on every week. Um, I just talk about a different artist. Uh, and then I did a lot of interviews with uh, musicians, international and local here in New Zealand, and edited those together and did that. So I did that at the same time that I was still working at Sky Television because yeah, I hadn't changed a bit. I was still doing like yeah. five jobs at the same time. <laughs> have you, uh, do you make it back to the States much? And have you been back to Rochester since you left? Yes, I have, but not in a while. But for, for, I waited nine years to come back. So I went back in like 2003 mm-hmm. and that, and I did go to Rochester then because most of my family's moved to Florida. Yeah. So why? I don't know. But anyway, <laughs> the, 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 so I went up the to, sun. I went up and I had a great time in 2003. I went back up to CMF. I think Weez was still there. And of course, Kano was there. Yeah. 
So, you know, and I did, did that TV show with the, the Brother Wee's Late Night Circus. Do you know about that? Yeah, I remember that. It was insane. Yeah, well, it was, and we did it live. We did it live. It was, and we had we had amazing people on that. We had Lou Graham and Joan Osborne singing together. Yeah. And we had, uh, you know, just all sorts of wild stuff would just we just do it on the a spur of the moment it was i can't believe i got away with doing that either but <laughs> that's awesome what else, you, you work with mark cronin crones yeah 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 that, i haven't heard that name in a long time <laughs> yeah he must have been right near the end well like when you're yeah. ending uh yeah 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 I oh, God, candy Jesus. candy clark some of the names i go oh, yeah um, yeah yeah and I, I think i was the world's longest part-time jock i mean i was part-time from 78 to 90, I think. Well, it's all part of the trip, Marty. It was, uh, it was fun. I had a great time. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. And then I ended up doing some other smaller radio stuff. I did DKX for a little while, as a matter of fact. Really? On air or just production? On air. Uh, (laughs) So it was fun because I played the classic black stuff that, 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 because they were all, you know, doing the contemporary thing. And I came in on like the Saturday morning and did a, Oldie show. Oh my cat! Yeah, well, that's a big cat. <laughs> she looks bigger than she is. <laughs> well, Marty, uh, thanks for uh, starting your day with us. Um, sure, Rochester, New York. Like I said, we used to be Soccer Town, USA. We like to dub ourselves uh, Metal Town, USA. Our right. metal history goes uh, deep. And your show, the After Hours with Ozzy, it's <laughs> it goes across the globe. I'm sure. Um, have you yep. been uh, contacted by any other media outlets about any of this throughout I, the years outside of the yes, years? throughout the years? Um, who is it? Uh, somebody in California, one of the big uh, syndicated TV shows paid quite a bit of money to me to get my story and get some footage from me. So uh, it was like, you know, uh, entertainment. It wasn't entertainment tonight, but it was one of those kind of shows. And that was maybe 10 years ago. So they, they that was cool. Uh, well, know, well the best were, I could do is send your hellos to some of the Rochester yeah, media right. guys. I'm, uh, I'm not. I'm not. My problem is I was never really good at making a lot of money anyway. Well, so. you, it's what it's what you do while you're here. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, again, thank you, and um, you know, stay safe and healthy, and we'll be um, we'll be yeah, good, good to hear your... from you. Say hi to everybody in Rochester. We will. I don't know if you. Do you know, do you know the Uncle Sam guys? Um, not by name. No, it's uh, just I, I just remember them. It's um, yeah. You know, I remember the um, how was the uh, uh, Ginsler's band, uh, Uncle Plum. Um, yeah, I remember Tommy Barnett and Immaculate <laughs> Mary. You know, <laughs> well they did they did a song on this Goodbye Mr. Mary, which was written about because there was quite a bit of feud between uncle Sam and immaculate Mary. So that song, which is on this album is, is about them. You listen to it. <laughs> and it rocks too. This, this album rocks. <laughs> All right. Well, again, thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thanks a lot. See Take you care. later. Bye. Bye. Metal for life. Thanks for listening to metal mayhem. ROC. Check out our websites at metal mayhem. ROC.com and metal for information on upcoming concerts, podcasts, archives, and all sorts of info. Please like follow and share with everyone. Even your non-metal friends. Catch us next time on WLFE TV radio. It's NFL draft season. And that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. 
FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 